If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be perspective shattering, and here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to how do you find the space to give your character a story in your games? And how can you keep everything flexible while following a story arc? And what other journeys could Gimli have taken to find out that Legolas is a pretty cool dude? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. Well, if you've been following our journey... We just bought a new house, and it still beckons me every moment of every day. (laughs) Being a a new homeowner sucks. From the AC, air conditioning going out during a heat wave, to these strange little bugs starting to infiltrate our home at every entry point, (laughs) to the closet that I still don't have put up, meaning we just have piles of clothes everywhere. (laughs) They drift. Like yeah. like piles of sand, they just move throughout the house based on what you need access to. So Absolutely. Just, yeah, clothes drifts. Hopefully you don't need something at the bottom of the drift. <laughs> but anyways, yes, we're still 100% focused on the house and trying to carve out time for the good stuff like this podcast. Yep, it's been a real roller coaster journey. But we're done trying to grow in real life and we're back to talk about character arcs for your games which we've been super into recently because playing a character with an arc makes them so much more interesting than just tacking on a couple of personality traits for them to try to chime in with once in a while. Well, what we had discussed in the last episode, and if you haven't heard the last episode, go back and listen to that episode. I don't know why you would start at the second in a series. You're experimenting with your podcast consumption, and I respect that. (laughs) unconventional (laughs) you've taken a unique approach to podcast listening but in the last episode we talked about status arcs and how that really kind of falls a lot of the traditional hero's journey that kind of stuff and now we're going to take it one further step and talk about worldview arcs they're a little less straightforward but they're really fun to consider for your character And they can let your character grow in new ways. And you can keep peppering them into your story every time you want your character to learn something about themselves or the world or, you know, become a more complete person. And if you're thinking that this might be too deep and literary of a topic to easily role play in your collaborative improv games, stick around because I think we've done a pretty good job to boil them down. You just take a couple points away, apply them to your spell slinging skull splitters. And it's not going to restrict your flexibility or how you end your stories. Everything's still going to be surprising along the way. And it, in fact, makes it a little bit easier to roleplay your character throughout their story. As a quick recap on some of the things that we did talk about in the last episode, you can have a change arc in a roleplaying setting where you've got five other players. Some of them are changing. They're working on their characters. Other times they're supporting And that's how that's really the magic and the power of character arcs is that when you know what you're looking for, 
you can recognize opportunities to show a little character growth or a little change within your character. And everyone can have these moments in a collaborative setting if we boil them down and distill them to just kind of their raw components. So it's very applicable to D&D. And like we asked in the last episode, think of your character as we go through some of these, because chances are some of these ideas are going to strike a chord with your character. You're going to think of your character and go, damn, that's exactly the kind of journey that they need. Ooh, and then you can start thinking about how you can elicit some responses from the rest of the players at the table after you show some growth from your character. You can think about these little opportunities to say, you know what, my characters changed their opinion or they've changed their worldview, and now I know how to do that. Now I know how to pepper that into a game, and it doesn't have to sidetrack the entire campaign. It doesn't have to be a, a separate quest. It's just a quick thing that you just pepper into your game, and now all of a sudden, everyone else at the table is seeing growth out of your character, and that's why these are so powerful. And for me, what they do is when I'm working with a character and I've got like a dozen, two dozen ideas for that character, I keep scattering around without any real direction for my character. But when I think about one of these really simple arcs, it kind of just clicks and I think, oh, that's what I need to do with this character. Totally. You feel a sense of purpose. And you feel a, a new simplicity wash over you <laughs> and wash away all of that almost like character anxiety as you're trying to craft this like masterpiece of a character. Oh, I feel that so much. <laughs> the the pressure to be like, I need to do something exceptional with this character. Yeah. I need to do this character justice because I came up with this really cool concept. And now that it's been put into my hands and said, hey, do something with this character. Then I shit myself and fall asleep and go, uh, <laughs> no. And the character does not have justice done. So let's go to the strategy stateroom and talk about these worldview arcs. This is the strategy stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. So in the last episode, we talked about status arcs. Status arcs are really about the change of a character's status in the world. Did they start as a street urchin and become king? But this one, like Jordan alluded to, is a little bit more subtle and a little bit more nuanced. And this is going to be great for characters that have a particular point of view, that have some opinions. Maybe those opinions aren't great. So what we're talking about is worldview shifts. And similar to the last episode, there's a couple of subcategories of this. And those subcategories are maturation, education, and disillusionment. So other than a whole bunch of triple word scores on that, we're going to break each one of those ones down into their core components so that we can all understand them a little bit better and know how to apply them to our characters. So let's start with maturation. So this arc is an internal change where a character reacts to the events around them. And again, unlike the status arc where they kind of end high or low, they've won or lost, these arcs can all have a positive or a negative end, really. So in the maturation arc, the positive version is 
the character starts naive and inexperienced, they learn something, and they end mature and wise. Then the flip side of that, the negative end is where they start naive and inexperienced, they refuse or resist learning something, and they end naive and inexperienced. So nothing happened. Well, a lot happened. They could have changed, <laughs> but the tragedy of the story is that they did not. Got it. So you've got the positive end and the negative end, depending on whether or not this character learned what they were meant to learn. Now, I'll say that the positive end is a lot more satisfying and a lot more movies and the storytellers use that one because it's not a lot of fun to watch a character <laughs> just <laughs> lose. <laughs> so to contextualize this, we need a movie example. This is almost an entire genre of movies. Yeah, absolutely. They're often referred to as coming of age stories. I'm sure you're familiar. Every Almost every movie that involves people in school of some sort <laughs> are coming of age. And that includes the one that I've got here as an example. A recent blockbuster version of the coming of age story is Spiderman Homecoming. <laughs> The Spiderman. The Spiderman saga. Yes. In that, Spider-Man wants to become a full-blown superhero on par with the Avengers. But he's naive to the amount of responsibility that doing so actually entails. If only Uncle Ben had said something <laughs> yeah. about responsibility. But he didn't in this one. Did oh, he? That's, uh, Did he have that scene? Well, they didn't do the intro again. Yeah. They didn't beat that, that origin to death again. We've heard Uncle Ben mutter those lines like 80 times in the last five movies. Yeah. Then throughout the story, he's going after baddies. He screws up on the ferry. If you remember, the ferry gets blasted in half. And then Iron Man comes and saves him and also chews him out for being irresponsible. So he gets his ass handed to him by the vulture. He gets trapped under rubble. Then he struggles with the need to take on the responsibility for his own situation and rises to the challenge. He lifts the big building off of him, and he beats matures. ass. Beats ass. Yeah, he <laughs> I guess. Beats yeah. the vulture's ass. <laughs> yeah, matures is another word for that. And at the very end of the film, he has the opportunity to become an Avenger, but he turns it down. He doesn't want it anymore. He's matured enough that he doesn't want that. He has learned. He has changed his worldview. Hooray for Spider-Man. Good job, Spider-Boy. So how can you plan this arc in your games rather than just in superhero movies? Well, you just make your character naive in some way, have them fail at something due to their naivete, have them struggle with the need to change so they stop failing, and have them change or not during their climactic moment. I mean, this one strikes me as like, you know, the rogue that sneaks ahead and tries to get up close and then Leroy Jenkins the whole thing and fucks up the plan that everyone just spent the last hour at the table learning and planning. Yeah, they definitely need to learn some patience in battle. Maybe that's something that they could do. That's their that's their arc. The rogue learned not to rush into battle. <laughs> yeah, so if you wanted to actually run your rogue through this arc as their you know, on that super simple quest of slay the dragon again, all you got to do is go through these steps. So your rogue is impatient. They don't want to slow down. On the way to fight the dragon, they're too impatient in a kobold fight and they get themselves into trouble. Maybe they run right into a big old group of kobolds and, you know, it's very clear that without the party helping, 
That would have been real, real dumb. Yeah. Then you can role play a little bit. You can ask the party what went wrong and they could, you know, respond that you were an impatient ass. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. Doesn't seem like much of a stretch. And then at the dragon, they're at a crossroads. They've been thinking, do they rush into the dragon fight? Or do they follow the party? Or do they even take the time to patiently make a plan? And whether they win or lose that dragon fight, they're walking away having learned or failed to learn about patience. And if you don't feel like that's enough to really cement in the character arc that's happening here, all you got to do is quickly toss in a story about how your impatience botched a previous thing that your character did. You know, they lost their best friend 10 years ago fighting a similar dragon because they were impatient. There you go. So that brings us to the education arc. Now, this is where the character's worldview starts negative, but it's incomplete. They have a piss-poor view of the world. The character then learns something, and their worldview ends more positive than it started. And I think the simplest terms that got this into my head was going from seeing something as meaningless to being meaningful. It's the classic story arc that the Grinch and Ebenezer Scrooge went through. They're surly as shit about something. (laughs) Something good happens, and by the end, they're dancing around because the world has meaning once more. So we need a movie example. Okay, well, a better one than those really ancient Christmas tales (laughs) is Up, which is a new classic from Disney Pixar. Because that one was real touching, real heartwarming. Well, I mean, the first five minutes destroy pretty much everybody. Yes, they nailed it with that part, which introduces the surly character. Because at the start of the actual story, he's led a great life. But now he's a miserable old man because he thinks he failed his wife and that life is not the adventure that he thought it was. Well, and what's so critical is that that character has a flaw. They have a very impactful flaw that just ruins his relationships currently. Yeah. With a new talking dog and a little boy. (laughs) Exactly. He's just a pissy old man. But throughout the tale, he goes on a grand adventure. Uh, But he essentially keeps his worldview intact. Despite these jolly characters coming into his life and these wild things happening to them. But at his pivotal moment, he finds his wife in his old adventure book and discovers some new pages in the back that say, thanks for the adventure, now go have a new one. This makes him realize he didn't fail, and life is an adventure after all. And then he takes his new surrogate grandson, Kevin? Yeah. On more adventures. Yeah. How did that work again? What do you mean? Whose kid was he? He was just a a boy scout that came to his door uh, at the wrong time. An old man abducted a child. (laughs) Yeah. In a floating house. Yeah. But the good news is that uh, Kevin's parents didn't care enough to press charges. Where were the milk cartons? (laughs) This is my new grandpa, mom and dad. It's all good. (laughs) He took me to a land with (laughs) giant ostriches and flew me in his balloon house. (laughs) No worries. Oh, that was a shit show. So how do you plan this arc in your game? Well, you just start with your character thinking something about the world sucks. Whether it be people are mostly bad or maybe life is unfair because candy rots your teeth. I'm pretty upset about that one. Sure. 
then you let your character be tested by the events and characters of the game world. The important part for the first little bit anyways is to refuse to change. You keep questioning things that go against your worldview, but you remain rigid and stuck in place. Yes. And then obviously the character needs to be shown some kind of evidence that their worldview is maybe a little bit different. And then they take that as evidence of maybe them being wrong and they change their opinions. And this can kind of be interpreted by you, you know, whatever moment you want to attach this change to, like look for something that happens in the game world that you can react in this way to. Honestly, adding an education arc really is not that complicated. All you have to do is just, like you said, find opportunities to plant your heels on any topic. Yeah, and then eventually have something that changes your mind. You can wait for anything to crop up, whether it's a a really nice interaction with that kindly shopkeeper or something like that that says, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna change my worldview a little bit. I'm gonna change my opinions. So how do we run this in an adventure? Let's put it back into the context of D&D. Sure. So going back to your rogue, you want to do another arc? Let's do it. Uh, maybe your rogue thinks that people are greedy and don't really deserve to be helped with this dragon issue, but they've got selfish reasons to do it anyway. They're getting paid or... They're a rogue and dragons have money. So yeah, exactly. They're not doing it to help anyone. Right. They're just doing it for personal gain. There we go. Get that treasure. Then you could have your rogue interact with an unselfish party member or two. Perhaps some townsfolk that actually are good on their way out. Unselfish people. Have the world barrage them with unselfishness and they say, nope, you're selfish. Everyone's selfish. Shut up. Then you just wait for someone in your party to do something truly good that they witness and they realize, well, dang, I guess I can't just sit here and stew in my negativity. I have to admit that some people are not selfish. You could have your character focus on the actions of the most goodly character in the party, constantly naysaying or pshawing their good actions, refusing to believe it's real. Then, maybe at a key moment in the dragon fight when the party's actually coming together or not being selfish, your rogue internalizes that and comes to the rescue. There you go. Maybe they were starting to flee. Everyone came together. They ran back into the fight. They win. Hooray. Everyone hugs. And they start to come around on this whole everyone sucks idea. I mean, mechanically, this is super simple to do within D&D. And now during that dragon fight, on your turn, your rogue just turns and looks in the other direction. And you tell the rest of the party that my rogue looks at the exit. It's a part of a bonus action. Like that is all the story that you need to look at the exit and then draw your daggers and turn to face the dragon. Yeah. Doing this time and time and time again, and it doesn't even require anything mechanical. Yeah, and that's a good point. You don't need that big of gestures. You don't need to have your character go in a monologue, just a few key details, and you've got the story arc, and you didn't even have to change your adventuring style that much. You didn't have to focus entirely on it every moment of every session. So the final one is disillusionment. This is where the worldview starts positive, but incomplete. They don't have the whole picture, and it ends at more of a complete negative. So this doesn't have to be a serious downer, but they started with maybe a false idea. 
but it was a positive, rosy idea. And now they're being educated about how the world really is. And that often results in some serious maturity as well. It is really the flip side of the last one we just talked about. And if you're looking for a movie example of this one, we've got Toy Story for you. Super simple. You're really on a Pixar train here. Yeah, I realized through my scouring classic films that give good examples of character arcs that Disney and Pixar films really have simple character arcs that are in everybody's mind. Whether you've seen the movies or not, these characters have wormed their way into your subconscious. <laughs> well, they're simple, they're straightforward, they're tried, tested, and true. And that's yeah. exactly what these character arcs are meant to be. So who's the character in Toy Story? Tell me what you think of when you think of the character Buzz Lightyear. Valiant space ranger that goes through the entire first movie thinking he's something other than a toy. Yeah, exactly. That's his arc. You can't think of the character without thinking about his arc. Those two are pretty closely intertwined. That's a great example. So he starts out thinking he's the real deal. Uh, Woody keeps trying to exuberantly prove that he's a toy. <laughs> he has his moment when he tries to fly out the window and breaks his very undeniably toy-like arm and realizes the truth. And he's real bummed out for a bit, but Woody helps him come to terms with reality. And he kicks ass way better after that. Really interesting thing here is just that this is about a bit of a wake-up call, this disillusionment yeah. arc. So the core components to this arc are really just that the character sees some part of the world through an incomplete lens. Let's say they grew up uh, really sheltered or something like that. They believe the best about it. Then the character's worldview is tested by another character in the party or an event. Then they finally get shown that evidence that the world is not so great in the way they think it is, and they internalize that. Or, you know, if you want the ending to suck, they don't. Easy enough. So let's talk about the D&D &D adventure. Well, I really like this one for the uh, Dragon Quest because you could just start with the classic adventure optimist. We're going to kill a dragon? Hell yeah! I'm a hero! <laughs> through and through, this is going to be so fun! Nothing can go wrong. <laughs> Clearly, they have not fought a dragon. <laughs> I think this is especially great if you're running it with a character like the one we just talked about, the rogue that's a real downer and is like <laughs> super negative about the world at this stage in their journey. Yeah. So, I mean, along the way, every challenge the party faces is going to be somewhat uh, taxing or gross or something like that. These are going to be really fun for this character to try to justify through their worldview lens. Yeah, they keep getting challenged by everything. And they're like, oh, this isn't quite the walk in the park that I thought it would be. But this is OK. Sure, I'm covered in blood and guts, but we're fine. This is still fun. <laughs> then you get to some part of the adventure that's truly challenging. Maybe, you know, a party member or two go down. It's either just before the dragon fight when things are really tough or during it, and they realize that adventuring is really no cakewalk. They get serious for a bit. They lose that enthusiastic spark. And all you need to do to basically play out this disillusionment arc is have a character that is kind of naive. And then as an outcome, do they gain a better view of the world or does it crush them? This is where you can actually, you know, have some conversations with party members to give it a solid ending. Do they need somebody to give them some perspective on the fact that adventuring may be full of ups and downs, but is a calling only the 
bravest and boldest can step up to. This is really just about all laying the groundwork and seizing opportunities or any of the scenarios that crop up in an average game of D&D and having them just maintain an unrealistic, naive view only to have it change at some point and then to call it out. Holy shit. You guys, I cannot keep this up. I have long believed this, but I like, please support me in this moment because this is all just kind of, I can't, I can't fake this anymore. This is bullshit. This is hard. I hate this. Yeah. This is not as easy as I would like it to be or that I thought it would be. And then when the adventure concludes, they get the reward and they say, all right, it's actually kind of worth it. I just, I did not think it would be this tough. Yeah. Now they have a far more complete view of the world. They've come full circle as a character. They're better. Getting pantsed and then stabbed by a goblin was really hard, (laughs) but I got through it and I'm better for it. All right. Well, that concludes part two. Let's move on to Timora's Tavern, where we see what we can do with some Lord of the Rings characters again. And by that, you mean see how bad we can screw them up? Yeah. Excellent. Welcome to Timora's Tavern, where absurd games of fortune and skill are played for the amusement of all. All right, so in case you didn't recall from the last episode we did kind of a weird time or tavern where we tried to make up a different history for aragorn an alternate history based on these different arcs and this time around we're doing gimli the dwarf that likes to act stuff that's a terrible character tagline yeah it doesn't make sense it's just that's very what he, literal what he does yeah <laughs> We'll workshop it later. As a recap, we've got Gimli and Legolas that start out as defenders of their people, and both of them are kind of... Well, let's just call it what it is. They're both racist. Yeah, sure, sure. But they end up as best friends forever. And let's be honest, we didn't need that recap because everybody knows that's what Lord of the Rings is about. It's about Gimli and Legolas becoming friends. Yeah. We didn't need anything after their their moment of coming together. That should have been the end of the movie. <laughs> Just call it there. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to focus on Gimli. His character arc in the movie was a maturation arc. So let's run through that real quick. He's naive to his own incorrect biases. He goes on the journey that the Fellowship of the Ring undertakes because he distrusts Legolas. Yeah, he he just went to keep tabs on Legolas. Yeah, he wasn't really vibing it himself. He just didn't want that elf to get up to anything shifty. Wow, he really was racist against elves. Yeah, and throughout his journey, they have a lot of moments of dislike towards each other. Gimli makes a lot of comments about elves throughout. They're competing throughout the entire thing to see who can kill more. Yes, which is what a lighthearted competition. Yeah, (laughs) way to create a bond you know what we came together (laughs) through splitting these skulls of some orcs yeah and then it all comes full circle through their little moments of friendship that pop up throughout the movie when Gimli at the very end says never thought I'd die side by side with an elf and Legolas responds with what about side by side with a friend 
as he cleaves an orc skull in twain. Yeah. Yeah. Roll credits right there. Yeah. Story's over. So let's screw this up by putting Gimli through an education arc. So this one, they really have to, Gimli has to start off with his worldview being negative. And then Gimli learns something and their worldview is changed to be a lot more positive. Yeah. So here's my pitch for you. Gimli thinks that trying to stop Sauron is meaningless because the peoples of Middle-earth are always going to be at each other's throats anyways. Oh. So why not be ruled by Sauron? Yeah. He's kind of... <laughs> he's making jokes about how we'd all be better off if Sauron just rolled through and took control. Okay. Wow. This is a, a unique twist. <laughs> I like it. You know, he could be saying like, Legolas, you can be his chef. <laughs> Aragorn, you can be his masseuse. We can all just live happily ever after under Sauron's rule. <laughs> Screw everything. Well, I think that because of their already established rivalry, like he would be signing Legolas up for the worst of the jobs. Like <laughs> you get to trim Sauron's bunions. Yeah. You get to you chew off his toenails with your mouth. Like you, you just sit there and <laughs> gnaw down there. Nasty. Yeah. Yeah, Sauron's probably got some gross stuff going on underneath that armor. He hasn't taken it off in like 2,000 years or something. Oh, God, that's got to be some <laughs> stank foot. <laughs> so because Gimli's so resistant to all of this, I think we're going to need a scene where his old papa makes him go on the quest anyways. Oh, okay. His dad brought him to the meeting, and his dad's like, you know, Gimli, you need to step up, move out of our basement. It's time for you to become an adult. <laughs> he's <laughs> He's been squatting <laughs> in his dad's basement. Yeah. For how old is he now? Uh, I don't know. Probably like 85 or something. <laughs> Stop living at home, <laughs> Gimli. It's been 130 years. Yeah. Go with his elf on this quest. It's almost like a play date with a kid that you don't like. <laughs> yeah. You need to learn to get along, Gimli. <laughs> so throughout this story, even though the fellowship proves that different people are indeed coming together, He's going to be a stubborn ass about it all the way through. But maybe we introduce a scene where Gimli gets grabbed by a big old troll. Okay. Legolas and Aragorn rescue him coming together and saying some cool shit about being allies and having each other's backs. <laughs> so, so Gimli changes his stance on Legolas because he's jealous of the friendship that Legolas and Aragorn have? <laughs> well, that could be part of it. That's not what I was going for. I was more just going for the fact that You've got a, an elf, a human, and a dwarf that came together because the whole thing is nobody comes together, so ah, everything is meaningless. Got it. But yes, this does still result in Gimli becoming best buds with Legolas. He gets off his ass. He becomes motivated to take down Sauron and his minions. He learns that there is worthwhile things to save and that maybe under Sauron's rule, he wouldn't get to hang out <laughs> as much with his new pals. Yeah. He wouldn't be able to do all the cool shit they're going to do after the story. Like they're going to go around to pubs and, you know, do do a lot of pub crawls, probably. Yeah, they put together like one night when they were drinking, they put together this plan to open a surf shack. Yeah. Uh, on the beaches. Yeah. Yep. They were going to run it together. <laughs> That's something we don't hear about enough in Middle Earth is the surf scene. <laughs> What are the waves like on the coast? Well, you you have to just, you know, kind of like in Hawaii, you got to be really careful where you choose to surf 
because instead of coral just being right underneath the surface, it's actually all those dead people in the swamp. Oh, yeah. They'll pull you down real quick. That's a real bummer on your surf day. (laughs) (laughs) Don't surf. What are those called? Like the death swamp or whatever? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Don't go surfing in the death swamp for sure. All right. Yeah, I think that uh, does the education arc pretty decent. Okay. I'm hesitant uh, after that roller coaster to ask about the disillusionment arc. Well, you shouldn't be hesitant. You should get on, strap in, and uh, start cooking along on this roller coaster. So with the disillusionment arc, you've got a character whose worldview starts really positive, but incomplete. Like they don't have the entire picture. They're kind of a picture of Rosie, uh, but then they're awoken to the reality of the world. Right. So we're going to start this one off with Gimli thinking that the Fellowship of the Ring is the ultimate perfect bond. Nothing could ever break it. And they're all destined to succeed. It's going to go perfectly. Ah, so he's like overconfident about their journey across Middle Earth to walk directly up to a volcano and toss in some jewelry. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Maybe he even, you know, spent some of his coin on a fortune teller. Gave him some good news beforehand. Uh. The group that you're going to join will uh, be perfect. So he's stupidly overconfident. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Got it. And he's super joyous about it all. So throughout the story, he sees his allies struggling, but he just enthusiastically marches on. You know, he's being a pretty good paladin type character. Okay. Everything's going to be cool. Just keep going. And then there's the twist. Yep. Uh, When Sean Bean tries to go rogue and take the ring. Boromir. Yeah, sure. Uh, It hits Gimli like a Balrog. Okay. He hates the fact that uh, one of the members of the Fellowship has broken his incorrect, fragile view that the group is perfect. Is he the one that kills Boromir? Sure. Yeah, he catches him in the act. And axes him right down. Oh, this is is rough. Yeah. Yeah. He was hiding up in a tree when Boromir was getting all creepy with Frodo. And now this is destroying the Fellowship because you've got this tiny irate dwarf that is so suspicious of everyone else in the party he's like don't you fucking look at the ring don't you do it i will cut you down too he's almost murderous yeah everyone's scared of gimli now (laughs) gimli could take a whole twist in this character arc and start becoming the bad guy but then gimli sees that his allies like legolas are still ready to die for him when carl urban threatens gimli with all of his soldiers around. Uh, Aomer. Sure. And right after the threat, Legolas says, you would die before your stroke fell, proving that, you know, life is full of grays. Some folks are going to be good. Some are going to be bad. Some of your friends are going to actually stand by you. And then he trusts people again. Yeah. With a more complete worldview. He still becomes absolute best buds with Legolas. Yeah. In lieu of a surf shop, maybe, just maybe, They can try to help heal some of the wounds of all of this horrible ingrained racism that dwarves have for elves and elves have for dwarves by opening a summer camp for the the chillins because you can't change the old folks' minds. They're already, you know, like them. It took quite an adventure to change their opinions about (laughs) one another. So since you can't replicate that, you can get them while they're young. But wait, how do you get a dwarf parent 
to agree to send their kid to a summer camp with elves? That's the thing. You don't. You lie to them. You lie to them. You say it's uh, strictly a dwarf summer camp. (laughs) And then you do. And then you lock them all in closets when they get there for the first couple of days. And you're like, hey, this is this is a lot of fun here, kids. So you lock the the pairs. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Very nice. You pair off a dwarf and an elf and you lock them each up. Yeah. Oh, wow. 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 Yeah. It's just exposure (laughs) therapy. Sure. And any troublesome youth that step out of line, you put in the Boromir bag. <laughs> oh, God. For timeouts. <laughs> yeah, I think that summer camp would get shut down real quick. <laughs> yeah, if they have any kind of oversight. But hopefully we can get support to open said summer camp from our patrons. <laughs> I hope you're behind it. Or at least behind us making some more episodes. Thank you so much to Chris F. And I see spiders with a run on. The Senate. Lucas D. Lila G. The GM Tim. Nevermore. Thomas W. Ty N. Heavy Arms. Eric R. Aldrost. Leprechaun. And Will HP. Thank you all so, so much for helping us put out another episode. And we really do have our patrons to thank for this episode because before we launched into this whole series of episodes, we asked them first. We said, would you want to hear this? And they said, yes. So they're kind of like our producers, in a sense. Or our enablers. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot more accurate. They're our enablers. Thanks. It's truly amazing that you support us. Also, thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. You can join some of those patrons alongside an awesome community of players and DMs on our Discord. Thanks Thanks for for listening, listening and I won't go in the Boromir bag! What's in the Boromir bag?